Hi, you're listening to The Cardigan, a special series from Selfie, focusing on the intersection of psychology and self-care. I'm Kristen, a licensed therapist, a skilled catastrophizer, and mom of four. And I'm Matthias, a licensed therapist, side-eye aficionado, and a dog dad. We're going to be taking your mental health questions, chatting about our own journeys, and looking at psychology in the media. We hope you learned something about yourself, the people you love, and the world of mental health and maybe laugh a little along the way. So go grab some tea and your favorite cardigan and we'll meet you on the couch. Hey guys. Well, today we are going to be talking about what we do when we've already failed our New Year's resolutions a couple weeks in. We are going going to be talking about psychology and pop culture, specifically Dexter and why we are attracted to serial killers. Um, But first we're going to do a mental health check-in. Hey, Matthias. Hey, Kristen. Well, how is your mental health going? You know, it has... (laughs) Like it, it's been raining in Seattle as Seattle yeah. does. And <laughs> it has been so rainy and, and my dog will not go outside if it's raining. Like I'll, oh, I'll really? open the door. She hears the rain. And she's she, like, no, she's like, I'm not going out there. And which means that I don't get outside. Oh, I mean, I shoot. could, but like I, I'm used to taking her on, you know, about a mile, two mile walk every day. It's just part of the daily routine. Mm-hmm. And I'm noticing like, the dark apartment, the lack of walking, it it just feels sad. Yeah. Dull. You know, like seasonal affective disorder. Like it yes. is real. So I, I am in the midst of that right now, which comes around every year. <laughs> that must be very hard to live in Seattle and have the personality where you're affected by gloom and doom. Yeah. And I used to think that I wasn't affected by it. Like Mm -hmm. the first four years that I lived here, I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. But (laughs) then I started looking at my journals and being like, why is it that every January I'm so sad? Yeah. like oh it it must be the weather and and i i think it i think it is yeah i'm sure that it is i mean i get super affected and i don't even live in seattle yeah i i don't think i could live somewhere where it rained a lot yeah i mean the key really is to get to sunny locations yeah like go to palm springs or yeah whatever but i think i i think and that even might be some of why I'm feeling it so strongly right now is the reality of like, I don't think I'm going to be traveling for a while. Like I don't, I yeah. don't feel like I can or should just yeah. get up and pop down to Palm Springs, even in this, like the quote unquote safest way. Uh, I just don't feel comfortable with it right now. So that some of it is too, is just like, Oh, I have to, I have to endure this. Yeah. You're stuck. You can't do yeah. like a week away of sunshine. Like you normally could. Right. That would probably boost you through at least some of the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm so sorry. It's been gloomy here and foggy Mm. um, and colder than we're used to. So it's not, you know, our sunny SoCal and it's affecting me. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It's wild how weather can affect us that much. Yeah, it really can. Mm. I know some people love it. I mean, I think not everyone is as affected. Sure. Um, I know some people feel you know, warm and cozy and lovely in rain. I totally. don't feel that way at all. Huh. Yeah, I typically, I, honestly, I typically do. Like every year, I welcome the rainy season. Mm. <laughs> I, I love it. And it, it affects me, you know, after yeah. three months of it. I'm Both like, okay, and. It's, it's time. <laughs> it's yeah. time for some sun. So, yeah. Yeah. How, how, how have you been? 
I've been pretty good. My um my workload has been interesting. I I've been kind of transitioning and I've talked about this before. I've kind of been transitioning out of blogging and writing for right. a living mm-hmm. and shifting into doing more therapy. Um, but I have not talked about the fact that I joined BetterHelp as a therapist a few months ago. Oh, really? I did. I was just curious. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a couple factors. Number one, curiosity. Number two, I was like, you know, I like that they're kind of democratizing, you know, therapy for people, making it accessible, making yeah. it affordable. Right. But the bigger reason that I joined is that there was I was recruited heavily. Do you get mm. a lot of recruiting for BetterHelp? I have actually never gotten any yet. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know where they were getting my info, but I was just, you know, getting constant recruiting emails. And I'm like, mm. you know what? Sure. But I was confused on the payment scale. Sure. And I thought that they were offering much more than they were. Oh. <laughs> which I think that there, there might, I mean, I think there might have even been some intentionality there. But anyway, so then I get on the platform and, you know, I, I knew it wasn't great pay. Right. But it was really low pay. And, you know, I got to say, and we've run ads for BetterHelp. So I, we will not be doing that again. (laughs) But I have to say, I was very, very troubled by the entire experience. Oh, no. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it's a subscription. It runs like a subscription. But the way they run it, they are putting barriers up to people actually using it every week. In a way that felt similar to, you know how gyms will just oversell gym memberships and then kind of hope that you never show? Yep. Or airlines oversell their flights or timeshares sell to more people than can actually go in a year? Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like. Mm. So I, overnight, they gave me like 50 clients. (laughs) What? I'm not joking. I'm really not exaggerating. (laughs) I had 50 clients. Now, you know, as a therapist, that's an untenable amount of clients. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if you had to throw a number out, I know this is very subjective, but how many clients do you think a therapist should see a week to be an ethical and professional therapist? Yeah. I mean, I would say most of my friends who do full-time weekly between – 18 and like 26, 27, maybe 30, maybe, but that's high end. I would completely agree. I know for myself, I've never seen more than 20. Now I know people might be going, oh, a 20 hour work week. No, it's not a 20 hour work week. That's 20 hours of face to face because then you're writing notes. You're, you know, contacting people in between. But also the thing is, Once you're seeing more than 20, you start to forget details about your clients. Right. Like you're, you're just, it's, your brain is like oversaturated. Mm -hmm. So they threw so many clients at me so fast because they, they need, which I think is also why I was so heavily recruited. And you know, it might be the fact that I'm in California also that I was so heavily recruited because I think that they may, may have a shortage of California therapists. but So right. they threw so many clients at me. Um, and then they don't allow you to do a standing appointment. Oh, really? Right. Which is another, I mean, both for the therapist and for the client, having 
there is something very good about having the same time every week to see your therapist, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can plan it, you know it's coming. And so instead, on the for the client end, it's just this kind of like a chaos every week of you can't schedule an appointment until you've had your previous appointment. Oh. Right? So if my if my therapist and I meet on Friday at 2 p.m. this week, I can't schedule next week until we've met. <laughs> so they're making it hard for people to make appointments. Uh-huh. And then the pay is just horrible. Horrible, mm. horrible. And they're paying their therapists less than half of what they're charging the clients for therapy. Wow. So somebody at BetterHelp is making an insane amount of money. Right. I mean, BetterHelp is making so much money Mm. because they're pocketing more than half what people are paying. So anyway, I very, very quickly was like, this is bullshit. (laughs) Like, this is unethical, unhealthy. But I had 50 clients to to navigate. Which, you know, an ethical, our ethical code is like, you don't abandon your clients. Right, right. So I was juggling that in November, December, and then ultimately in December decided I was quitting. I offered anyone that I was seeing at BetterHelp to follow me over to my private practice, which they discourage. Right. But, you know, ethically, it's like they discourage right. it, but they can't ban it. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and about half of them followed me over. Oh, good. And I offered them whatever rate they were paying at BetterHelp. But mm. I'm, I think the bigger message here is I just really would recommend people not use BetterHelp. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. And there's so many more problems that I'm not going into detail about. I mean, like they don't – as a therapist, you don't even get the full name of the people that you're seeing mm. or any contact info because they don't want you to go off platform interesting right so if there's an emergency you can't you can't and then they also say you know it's supposed to just be for like um for problems that aren't like in a crisis right but yet there's there's a you know questionnaire that people fill out and a number of the people they referred to me had had suicidal ideation in the last three months Uh uh-huh yep So they're sending me clients. I don't know their full names. I have no contact info for them. And a number of them have been suicidal in the last three months. Mm, It's just, That's a mess. It is a whole mess. It it is a whole mess. Not to mention, the thing that broke, the the, the star that broke the camel's back was me finding out, you know, they sell information. Do they really? They really do. How is that legal? Because it's in their terms of service that nobody reads. I mean, that sounds like HIPAA violation all over the place. Well, you know, they're not sharing identifying information. Sure. But (laughs) you're like, if you're on BetterHelp, your Facebook account can read how much time you're spending on BetterHelp. Yeah. It's really messy. I will actually link up to the article that kind of outed BetterHelp for doing this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was when I was like, I am out. Because they are just, I mean, they are, it is not client-centered. It is profit-centered. Yeah. For sure. Which I I understand things inevitably happen that way. 
but it was gross. So anyway, I'm done with BetterHelp. I am now only doing private practice, and that feels much better. Yeah. Much, good. much better. Good, good, good. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Um, and you do private practice as well. I do. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I love it. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's I'm very happy now. And it's, yeah. like, super balanced. You know, right. I'm seeing a normal number of clients. Right. Um, yeah. I have it's, standing I just... appointments with my clients, like a normal therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Much yeah, better. I just have heard I, – I have a couple of clients who come to me after – being on better help and i just have heard just nightmarish stories yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and i was even hearing that from the clients i had i mean i wasn't most people's first therapist mm-hmm. but the turnover is so high well, that makes sense i yeah. mean yeah i think therapists i think most therapists on their last probably two to three months goodness gracious yeah it's yeah. absurd wow. wow anyway what do you have for two thumbs up for us today yeah so <laughs> this is <laughs> This is a, a video game. No, oh. I am. I am not a big video game person. I, <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic, I splurged and bought myself a Nintendo Switch because it was like the fulfillment of a childhood dream. Oh, like, was it? I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to have a Nintendo growing up. It was like, okay, here we go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna become a video game person. You know, I got it very quickly realized like i am not really into this like this is mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, don't like video games but there is this game called the untitled goose game that i think i mean it's available on switch but i think you can get it on your computer other platforms and it has been the most delightful little game that i have played in a very long time huh. and you you play a goose <laughs> where your sole purpose is to cause mischief in a community. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and it's just like you're a delightful little menace. You just go around stealing people's keys. Like you have a, a list of tasks that you have to accomplish. To, uh-huh. You move on to kind of the next level. But, it, you know, it's like scare this little boy and lock him in a phone booth like oh, I mean, just my <laughs> gosh <laughs> the soundtrack is fun i mean it's just a light fun way to spend to pass a little bit of time you know i would play a little little bit at a time until i i passed the whole game and i highly recommend for folks who might want a way to you know pass some time other than watching tv Okay, I love that. That's really yeah. funny. I have never gotten into playing video games. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> well, that's not true. I did for a while get into um, Angry Birds. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I love Angry Birds. Yeah, that was fun for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't generally play video games much. And we have the systems. We have, sure. uh, I don't even know the name of it, Xbox. We have an Xbox cool but i don't i don't know yeah i i've never i might have to try that now with your switch do you play it with it on the tv or do you play it handheld i play it on the tv on the tv yeah okay that's fun yeah it's cute yeah okay i am going to talk about jeans for a moment because so uh, this whole thing in women's jeans which i think you have probably been able to avoid but like the new trend in women's jeans is that they're high-waisted right. and structured. So there's right. no stretch in them at all. 
You've, I mean, you've seen I've them. I've seen these. Yeah, they're yes. everywhere. You've <laughs> seen them. They're everywhere. It's what everyone's wearing. And, you know, there's an entire like meme about, you know, skinny jeans being out. And we're all so dumb if we still have skinny jeans or, a, you know, side part, right. um, which I have a middle part. I have, I'm, I have a middle part. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> stay so relevant. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to move away from skinny jeans. I get it, right? Like, I'm I'm not going to be the mom who keeps wearing capris like my mom did Well, after capris are over. You know, I'm going to try sure. to stay on trend. So I buy myself all of these freaking structured high-waist jeans, and they're so uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't even understand. First of all, <laughs> why would we wear jeans without any stretch in them? Why? Like, it that feels like you're question. wearing a suitcase. It's so, so uncomfortable. And then this mid-rise, like, if you sit down, I mean, the jeans are, like, practically poking my boob. Ugh. So I tried. I I really did try. I bought several pairs of this type of jean, you know, the Gen Z jean, I guess, wore them around. I feel like they looked terrible on me, but I was so uncomfortable. And then it got to the point where I just wouldn't wear jeans, like, sure. I would just keep wearing dresses because I'm not putting these boxy structured jeans back on. Right. And then I finally was like, you know what? I'm just going to wear skinny jeans. Good. Because you know what? Like, they, I sound like they're uncomfortable, but they're they're stretchy. Right. <laughs> they're stretching them. Yes. They're basically leggings. <laughs> so I found a skinny jean that I really like. I don't care that my kids think I'm stupid. I'm still just – I'm going to go out in skinny jeans. But they are the women's mid-rise. Keyword mid, not high-rise. And we're not going back to low-rise. We're just putting our jeans at a normal place where men get to wear their jeans all the fucking time. Right. Right? <laughs> So they're mid-rise skinny jean. They have a little thread. They come in multiple colors. I get them from Target. They're that universal thread. And they're $20. Amazing. And they're, I wore them on a plane. Yes. That's how comfortable they are. So anyway, I Amazing. just... I am I am just here for the revolution against high-waisted structured jeans. This is so good. I, you know, I, I saw a headline. I did not click into it and read it. But it was from like Vogue or something saying that 2022 is the year that low-rise jeans are back. Well, I don't support this either. Okay. <laughs> I don't support low-rise. That's the thing. Why do we – why do they have to be under our boobs or – or just above our pubic hair. Like, Fair. why can't we wear our jeans where you guys get to wear your jeans, like, at the hip? At the hip. That right? That is fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Because, yeah, I don't want to go low. I know. I've seen this, too, that low rice is coming back. And, in fact, it was. I watched an interesting content creator on TikTok talk about this. You know, in order to wear low rise jeans, well, first of all, this isn't true. Anybody can wear low rise jeans. Yes. But a, a big factor of the low-rise jean movement was that you were also supposed to have a flat stomach above it. Oh. And she was just saying she fears that the return of low-rise jean is also going to be the return of this sort of like diet culture. Not that, that it ever went away. Right. But this like unrealistic standard of, you know, in order to have a low-rise jean and not have any spillage over the top, you've got to be pretty thin. Mm-hmm. Where the high-waisted jeans, uncomfortable as they may be, you can get everything in there. <laughs> right. You can right. tuck it all in. Yeah. 
Yep, yep, yep. So yep. I don't know. I'm just gonna go mid rise, and t- I'm too I'm too old for options that aren't at a normal place. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, today's. What I want you to know is from listener Angela Clavijo, and she is talking about what she wishes people understood about being a social worker. What I want you to know about being a social worker. What I want you to know is that I was first exposed to the world of social work through the television show Judging Amy. I had never known that this career even existed and had spent my early childhood years thinking I wanted to be a teacher. But at 13 years old, I was intrigued by the character Maxine Gray and her job in the child welfare system. It didn't take long before I knew that this was the kind of work I wanted to do. I was more sure of it than anything else. I was going to be a social worker. What I want you to know is that I chose to pursue a social work degree with little to no knowledge of the full scope of social work practice. All I knew is that it felt like the right thing to do. So in 2009, I graduated with a bachelor's degree and began working immediately in the field of child abuse and neglect. In just three short months, I had seen enough that made me want to leave social work forever. Pictures of children who had been stabbed with utensils for spilling their drink at the dinner table jarred me. Iron burns, bruises from extension cords, and the details of neglect caused by substance abuse are permanently etched into my mind. I want you to know that I will never forget the sound of an infant in the NICU crying through the pain of cocaine withdrawal. What I want you to know is that it's now been over 12 years since I started working. And while I initially thought I would work in child abuse and neglect forever, I've had opportunity after opportunity to learn and grow and see what social work is all about. I have worked with children with developmental disabilities, individuals with mental illness, and the elderly. I have provided education and training for other social workers in nursing home settings and have written home studies for prospective kinship and foster adoptive families. I've worked in both hospice and early childhood education. I've worked with victims of domestic violence and have gotten my master's degree. I have watched children weep after being removed from their parents, have celebrated with families after they were able to adopt their child after years of ups and downs in the foster care system, have cried with parents after their two-year-old said their first word, have consoled parents after their child received a heartbreaking diagnosis, have listened to the elderly tell stories of better days, have written hundreds of home studies in hopes that the best thing would happen for the child in question, have walked into homes and situations that scared me and have helped families dream and set goals and get connected to local community resources. What I want you to know is that the full scope of social work practice is so much more extensive than the 13-year-old me ever realized it could be. And it's hard, really hard. And I've had many days in the past 12 years where I've wanted to quit, even if just for a little bit, but the passion for the work still burns. What I want you to know is that after 12 years in direct practice, I now get to teach undergraduate social work students It is my desire to be a part of equipping students for a lifetime of effectively enhancing the well-being of all people and challenging the systems of oppression that continue to harm vulnerable populations. What I want you to know is that I am passionate about ensuring that students are prepared for this work, that they understand systemic injustice in a real way, that they are exposed to a variety of cultures and identities through course materials that center the perspectives and ideas of non-Western people groups, indigenous populations, and the global majority that they are given opportunities for the critical examination of structural barriers that perpetuate harm and to re-examine their own tightly held beliefs regarding social justice and equity with the hope that diverse perspectives and the intentional inclusion of marginalized voices helps prepare them to work within systems that have their own long histories of injustice. I also want my students to understand the racism that exists within social work practice and to know how to confront their own implicit biases. What I want you to know is that I am fiercely concerned about secondary trauma and do everything I can to ensure that my students know how to protect themselves while doing this work. 
the up-close exposure to the pain and suffering of others takes a toll on a person, and the mental health of social work practitioners matters just as much as that of the clients that we work with. What I want you to know is that social work matters. This is not a glamorous work, but it is a holy work. It's championing social justice and service and valuing the dignity and worth of all human beings. Whether it's doing direct practice, research, political action and policy development, education, advocacy, or community organization, social workers work every single day to enhance the well-being of all people. What I want you to know is that if you are a social worker, I see you. I see the fusion of your passion and knowledge, empathy, and skills. I see you getting in the trenches with your clients. I see you standing up to bosses and administrations on behalf of those who trust you. I see you working hard every single day to confront systemic barriers. I see you dealing with the limitations of policy, poor funding, and lack of resources. I see you feeling helpless and frustrated. I see you wondering if what you're doing even matters at all. I want you to know that it matters. What I want you to know is that if you have a social worker in your life, they need your gentleness because they have seen a lot that they don't talk about. They have a case that doesn't leave them. They see faces of clients when they close their eyes at night. They find their own therapist and do the hard work of moving trauma through their bodies. So love them well, support them, encourage them, hug them, because this job isn't easy, but it's worth it. And I want you to know that it matters. All right. So our listener question was, what do we do when we have already failed our New Year's resolutions? Yeah. I mean, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. I mean, what what would you say to this? To me, it I would say it's inevitable. Like, I, I mean, I don't feel like I know a single person. Yeah. Maybe some people in some world do this, actually like follow through with resolutions and continue to do them. But, but I mean, my initial thing would be like, let's reframe what success and failure even look like. Mm -hmm. Because if we're, you know, two, three weeks into the year mm -hmm. and already feeling like failures, yes, <laughs> we need to have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean to commit to something that we genuinely want to do, but do it in a way that actually acknowledges the fact that building new habits means, I don't even like this language, but like failing and mm -hmm. then jumping back in and then failing again mm -hmm. and jumping back in until it, you know, kind of becomes a consistent part of our lives. Like that's not failure. That's the yeah. reality of what yeah. it means to try to bring something new into our lives. I, I don't know. Yeah. What do you have to say about it? Well, I just know that I am sounding like a just complete curmudgeon in this episode, but I am, I am just tired of the entire New Year's Eve resolution culture. Fair. I mean, I just feel like people are making money off of it. It's just an opportunity for kind of self-shame and body shame and yeah. – I don't know why I feel this way, maybe because we're in, you know, such a fatigue with pandemic, but I just, I didn't make any resolutions this year. When my kids talked about it, I was like, you know what, guys, just make goals for yourself when it feels appropriate to make goals for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like as they come, you know, like what does a year have to do with anything? Right. So I don't know. I know that that is not encouraging pe people no. who are listening who are trying to meet new goals. <laughs> but I've, I have seen that. I mean, I feel like especially this year, I saw that all over the internet of, of people being like, this is arbitrary. It's, it's artificial, yeah. which is, which is true. I mean, there's, there's truth there. And yeah. I, I don't, I have never 
been a resolution person. I and I realize this is semantics, and my friends hate me for this. But anytime they're like, "What are their resolutions?" I'm like, "I don't do resolutions. I do intentions." Yeah. <laughs> Which, in some ways, is semantics, but in another way, it feels so much more flexible to me. Yes. Like, this is what I would like to do this year. But no. Yeah. It's it macro happen, instead of micro, right? Like. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it. If it doesn't happen, then so be it. Like, yeah. that is okay. <laughs> yes. And I've done a word of the year, and that has served me well in previous years. Yeah. I didn't do one this year. I, yeah. Fair. I, I think, what do we do if we've already failed our New Year's resolutions? Be gracious on yourself. Yes. Love yourself, you know, and look at it and, and go, was this unrealistic? Um, If it wasn't, get back on it try again you know i mean this you know one day at a time right um yeah i don't know and is it serving you is it you know are you doing it because you are trying to i don't know fit some kind of uh standard that maybe doesn't isn't realistic or or serving you i don't know right yeah yeah things to look at Mm -hmm. yeah we should we should start a thread on that one in our Facebook group. Yeah. Just how good. are we feeling about mm-hmm. resolutions? Not what are they, but how are we, f- how are they making you feel? Yeah. 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 All right. Talk to me about Dexter and this attraction to serial killers. <laughs> I mean, first of all, when you cast a hot guy in the role, it does He's make so it a little hot. difficult. <laughs> He's so hot. So hot. Yeah. And I mean, this is coming up. Like, because there's a new season of Dexter out after 10 years, right? It's been like 10 years. since. Has it really been 10 years? I think so. At least in the show, they're like 10 years later. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. But I think think it is. Wow. So Dexter is back. Yes. Have you watched it yet? I have started watching it. Yeah. Okay. And it's great. But he is, you know, as hot as ever, which I don't even know how that's possible. The man... Michael C. Hall does not age. No. I don't know what he's having, what he's taking, because he was so hot in Six Feet Under, which that feels like a million years ago. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, when was that? I don't even know. Okay, Dexter. I just looked it up. The first season of Dexter was almost 20 years ago, 2006 to 2013. Wow. Yeah, that's a while ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this question, though, of attraction to serial killers, because I feel like, I mean, whether, like, Dexter certainly is, you know, bingeable TV, but, like, true crime. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, the the onslaught, and maybe this is because I, I watch a lot of true crime. I, I, I love it. Like, but I feel like my Netflix is constantly, watch this new true crime show. Like, Discovery Plus is, like, the home of true crime. And I'm like, sign me up. Give it to me. Mm-hmm. But... But this idea of, like, we have a, or I'll speak for myself, I have a fascination with serial killers. <laughs> and it seems like lots and lots and lots of people do, too. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and I think, I mean, that was a part of the popularity of Dexter, you right. know? I mean, is it that we, there has to be some bad boy trope happening with this, right? Sure. Well, I I think it's that. Yeah. And and I think that ties into some of what I was thinking, like just that even idea of the forbidden. (laughs) Yes. Like that. Yes. And being able to play out 
I, I mean, our, our like, <laughs> I, I think everyone has like murderous impulses. Like that is not to say we are all <laughs> murderous. Yeah. <laughs> but like those parts of ourselves that are enraged or, or, you know, whatever, like, like we get to actually kind of play that out in a safe environment through these shows. So um, true. I mean, does that feel true? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, and it's not just Dexter. There's no. you. Have you seen that show? I you? Have. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> creepy. Yes. Very hot. Uh huh. Um, we had what's his face from High School Musical playing Ted Bundy. Right. What's his name? Zach Efron. Zach Efron. He's such a cutie. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh. And then um. The hottie from Glee played um Yeah, Darren Chris. Darren Chris played the Versace murderer. Yeah, which that show was so good. That was a really well done show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of um oh and then did you watch The Serpent? No, I started it. Uh-huh. I thought about starting it. <laughs> I, I didn't watch it. That I did. But he Help. was also hot and yeah. a serial killer. Yeah, that doesn't help anything. No, I know. So maybe you guys should stop like casting hotties as serial killers because it's making us uncomfortable. Although real talk there, like a lot of serial killers were kind of good looking in real life. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's how they like, they use their charm. Yes. Like it, it, which is also so creepy. Like, Ooh, it's so creepy, but you're right. I mean, we are, there is some sort of morbid curiosity and fascination in yeah, in in murder and and murderers, one hundred percent for right. sure. Right, because because I really, I mean, I think it does touch on some of those primal parts of ourselves that we all have, but it's just that a lot of us don't move to action on it, and and don't even have the capacity to move to action on it. <laughs> yes, at, at least in normal circumstances. Like, you know, that is an interesting question, though, because you know there are so many books I feel like that explore this kind of carnal like human impulse to kill i mean the stranger dostoevsky i don't know that i completely relate to it is it a male like is it a male thing i don't know like i mean at least let's be honest also serial serial killers are generally male that is true right and and that is true and i i do i wonder i don't know like my mind goes to like you know the the classic psychoanalysts would argue that we all have murderous impulses yeah for sure for sure that doesn't mean serial killer but the classic psychoanalysts are also all male also all men right (laughs) so that's the part where i'm like is it everyone or is this a male thing yeah because i've never thought about like even in my basest moments i've never thought like Maybe I can murder that person. <laughs> well, I've never thought that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Same. I can think of the person it would be. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the murderous rage right there. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. But like, I would never think like I could murder them. No, I have never, and I, I guess I've never. Or taken... I've never thought, what would it be like to kill someone? Yeah, I have. Yeah, that's true. I have never. I also have never fantasized about what it would be like to actually do it. Ugh. And even like, you know, like the Alec Baldwin thing. Uh-huh. 
I had such, like, I really had such a hard time because, you know, you can't help but think about how you'd feel in that situation. Right. Like, that made me physically sick to think about accidentally killing someone. Right. Right. Like, how would you ever get over it? No. Right. I cannot even imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. This is this is a great mystery that we are fascinated. Because, yeah, I mean, all across every genre of entertainment, murder is still – it always sells. Right. It always sells. It does. We're so fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's very interesting. I don't know. Maybe we should throw that in the selfie thread. I think we should throw it in the selfie group. (laughs) (laughs) New Year's resolutions and murder. (laughs) And post photos of your hottest real life and casted serial killers. (laughs) (sighs) You're welcome, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a heads up. We're therapists, but we're not your therapists. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and by making it, we're not rendering psychological or other professional services. If you need therapy, we recommend you track down someone to help. Join us online for more of the conversation in our Selfie Community Facebook group or on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. 